Well, today uh, we're going to look at a very interesting passage of Scripture. It's, it's just four verses long, but I love, 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 love the story because it's Jesus watching people give their offering at the temple. And it's very fascinating to watch Jesus respond to people giving their offering. And in particular reference, there's a widow woman there who gave two cents. So let's check her out. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read these four verses, 41 to 44. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. And our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thanks for doing that. And this is the widow's offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, God inspired us today and encouraged us through this important story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I heard the story of a traveling circus and this circus happened to have a strong man. Maybe you can visualize this guy. He's a, he's a very powerful physical man, and he did these feats of strength. And one of, his, uh, one of his bits was to take a lemon and to squeeze the lemon until he squeezed every drop out of the lemon. And then he would challenge anyone in the audience who wanted to pick up the challenge that if they could come up and squeeze one more drop out of that lemon, that he'd give them a special prize. And... and People couldn't do it because he was so powerful. I mean, he just squeezed the life out of this lemon. Well, one day, this guy from the audience volunteered, and he comes walking forward, and he's this little scrawny guy. He's old and kind of sickly looking, and, and, you know, he doesn't weigh 100 pounds. And he walks up front, and, of course, everybody's laughing. They think it's a joke. And he said, I'll take you up on that challenge. And so the strong man gives him this, this emaciated lemon, what's left of it, and this little skinny guy takes the lemon and he squeezes another half a glass of juice out of the lemon. People were amazed. The strong man was just stunned. He said, man, how in the world did you do that? And the little man said, oh, I think nothing of it. He said, I'm the treasurer down the street at the Baptist church. We do this every week. We squeeze lemons <laughs> <laughs> now, come on, that's funny. <clears throat> Unless you're Baptist, then it's not as funny. <laughs> you know, it's more than a little unfortunate, though, when it comes to this, when God has to squeeze us, right? Squeeze out of us praise. Squeeze out of us gratitude. Squeeze out of us time. Squeeze out of us service. To squeeze out of us, you know, to to conjole us, manipulate us, squeeze us for the stuff that we should give freely. What I want to do today is, uh, is remind us that, that if God has to squeeze us, it's probably a matter of our motives, probably a matter of our attitudes, probably a matter of our heart. And so I want to get to that today, and I want to challenge you to think and to ask the questions about our motives for why we do the things we do and particularly in the area of our stewardship of our time and our talents and our abilities and our capacities and, and the resources, the assets God places our, at our disposal to understand better ourselves 
as it relates to our motives and our values and our heart. It's interesting uh, here in four short verses, Jesus drives this point home. And we find Jesus here, as he's often prone to do, using the subject of stewardship to illustrate matters of the heart. Uh, Jesus was clear about this concept in two places in the gospel. In Matthew 6 and Luke 12, Jesus uses the same phrase, and he said simply, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you maybe repeat that with me? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus made this connection. You know, in your car, you have these indicator lights that come on that, that indicate things. When, when something flashes on your dash, you know, about tire pressure, oil pressure, something like that, you realize that it's not just a light problem. Well, look at that. The light keep, on my dash keeps flashing. I wonder what the problem is with my light. You all know that that's silly to hear me even say it like that. You go, hey, dopey, it's not a light problem. There's something deeper in your engine about the, the important mechanical function of your engine that needs to be addressed. And, of course, the, the light is simply then an indication. It's an indicator of something more substantial, more important. And so Jesus is looking that day at the offering for his indicator light to come on, that something deeper might be displayed. It's a very important thing. So in your outline, you'll see three things that I observe about Jesus as he's watching this offering that day. Number one, Jesus watches intimately. You need the word intimately. Notice how intimate his watch is. He sat down opposite the treasury. He intentionally went over to where the offering was being taken. And he was very interested in the offering. He's very interested in the offering. Now I wonder, I just wonder, wondering out loud, is Jesus actually interested in the offering that we take, for example, here at Union Chapel? Does he even care? Is he interested in it? He was certainly interested that day. The reason that he had gone there was to observe people giving in the offering. Let me lay out the scenario. This is right alongside the temple in Jerusalem, the place of worship, the center of cultural activity, the temple in Jerusalem. It was a magnificent building, one of the seven wonders of the, of the ancient world. Uh, Josephus, a first century Jewish author, said that the temple was so spectacular, it was the, the stones were actually inlaid with gold and silver. It was, it was beautiful. And he said in the afternoon sunlight, when the sun would reflect off of the side of the temple, it was just dazzling. It was blinding. It was so, so impressive. And just on the side of the temple, on this side, there was this court. It was called the Court of Women. It was a very large open space. As many as 15,000 people could assemble there at the same time. So it was a big open area. And right beside the temple, and people would congregate there, and they would celebrate there. And it was a very highly socialized place. And it was also the place where you would go to drop your offerings into the temple treasury. There were large receptacles, 13 of these things that were built into the side of the temple wall, like big horns that kind of stood out from the wall. And you would, you would drop your offering in that container and it would then flow down to the treasury in the lower levels of the temple. So 13 of these receptacles and Jesus is there, probably hundreds of people coming and going, and he's there with the disciples, and he's watching. And he's watching intimately because he's interested in what people are doing. Now, why would Jesus be interested in the offering? 
Because we already know that Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus knows that the way you give, the, the way you steward the resources God gives you, is a real strong indication. It's an indicator of your real value system, of your real motives in life, of your real heart. And so, and so he's looking for the indicator lights to come on as he's watching people do the offering. And so... In verse 41, it says many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, question, how did Jesus know how much they were putting in? Answer is, because he was looking. <laughs> He's watching this intently. Uh, how did he know they were rich? Well, that's pretty easy. They had Tommy Hilfiger tunics, Mercedes-Benz carriages, Rolex sundials, fine leather coach, pocketbooks and purses. You know, just they had all the accessories. And so Jesus goes, well, there's a rich guy, and he pours a big bunch down the receptacle. Oh, that's a big, ooh, that's a big hitter. Ooh, that's big. Lots of money there. And then, and then, in verse 42, he notices this widow. Now, follow this. This is really interesting. She placed two small copper coins worth less than a cent into the receptacles. Now, as a widow, you should know, in first century Palestine, this is a very desperate situation her husband is gone, maybe she has no children, and, and a widow then has no natural means of support, no system of support. And so she is, because of the circumstances, she is impoverished, and she is alone. And so she places these two copper coins in the offering. These coins are called leptas, L-E-P-T-A, and they were, they were just virtually insignificant. They were the lowest denomination in the currency of the day, just like a penny is in the United States right now. Maybe you've seen the U U.S. government, U.S. Mint's considering discontinuing the circulation of pennies in our own currency because its value just isn't substantial enough to, to fuss with. And the same was true in first century Palestine with the lepta. I mean, it was two copper coins. It was like two cents. It's two cents, literally two pennies she puts in the offering. And Jesus is interested. He's interested enough that he notices her offering. He was sitting there watching, waiting for the indicator lights to go on. Maybe you heard John and Mark and Bartholomew and, and, and some of the other disciples who were with him. When some big hitter came by and dumped a bunch in the offering, maybe they said, hey, did you see that? That guy, man, he put a load in there. That was impressive. That was a big one. Wow. And Jesus probably just sitting back, waiting, watching, waiting, watching until this widow comes up. Second point, write this down. Jesus is watching critically, not only intimately, but critically. He analyzed what he saw. He analyzed carefully who was giving. He analyzed carefully what they were giving. And most importantly, he was analyzing why they were giving. Now, now follow that. He was observing beyond the obvious and discerning the motives, the heart intent of those who were giving. So in verse 43, Jesus now gets a reaction. He calls his disciples to him. He's so touched. He's so moved. He's so encouraged by the offering of this widow. Now, if, if, you, just, if you just think in natural terms and earthly terms and materialistic terms, you can miss the, impor the importance of this point. He calls all of his guys together, John and Matthew, James, Bartholomew, they're, they're all there. Luke, what did you see? He said, check this out. Look at that woman. Look what she did. He was so overwhelmed, he couldn't stand to look at it by himself. He wanted to make sure everybody noticed. 
He's animated by this. Verse 43, he said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. What? Two cents? Two lepta? Really? Seriously? More than anyone else? Verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had. It was so impressive because she gave out of her poverty, everyone else was giving out of their surplus. That was the difference. The rich, if you will, gave out of what they had left over. It may have been a lot, but it was extra for them. This was after the car note, after the house mortgage, after the credit cards, after the club dues, after the restaurant tabs, after all of that, everything else was covered. Then they brought their offering. Now, in case you're, you haven't gotten the point yet, let me just put the point on the, on the screen for you so you don't miss it. You can take it home. It's also in your outline. Here's the point. God measures your gift, not by the amount, but rather by the motive. There it is. Whoops, there it is. Always, God measures your gift, not by the amount, but rather by the motive. So here's the question. Do you give with the motive to honor and to bless and to please God? Or are you a person who gives just as little as necessary or out of your surplus or motivated by the need to just get by or to give the right impression? What drives it? What motivates you? What's your attitude toward it? What value do you place on it? You know, if I could describe a person who had a legitimate excuse for not giving anything in the offering, it's this woman. I mean, think about it. First of all, she has an economic reason. She's poor. She has nothing. I mean, it's just common sense, right? If you don't have anything to give, then how can you give? And, and no reasonable person would say, hey, lady, you know, why don't you give your last two cents? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just, it's just counterintuitive. But she got past that reason that she was poor. There's also a religious reason the verses just before, verses that we read this morning in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, the verses just ahead of it are words of Jesus. And they're the red letters. And Jesus is actually criticizing the rulers of the temple, the religious leaders of the time. He said, oh, those guys, they wear big, low, long, flowing robes to show off. They like to be noticed. And they, they give these long, lengthy prayers to, to try to impress people. When there's a banquet or a special occasion, they expect to have the, you know, the front seats and all that stuff. He said, these are the guys, he said, they rob widows of their houses. They will not go unpunished. These are the verses right up <laughs> before where we started reading. So Jesus is saying, now yeah, the leadership of that temple, those guys are corrupt. <laughs> well, so now there's, this is a religious reason, Right? If ever there was a church you shouldn't contribute to, it was that one. This was a church full of, cook, of crooks. So there's a religious re reason. Why would I give my hard-earned money or what I have left to those bunch of scoundrels? I'm not going to do it. And then there's a third reason, and that's a motivational reason. She could have looked at this temple, this magnificent building, and imagined, you know, it must take a lot of money to run this place. I mean, the program here, I mean, it's got to be a lot of money to keep this thing going. This is a big deal. This is the biggest deal in the, in the whole region. This part of the world. This is huge. What good is my two cents going to be? And if she'd asked the question out loud, anyone within earshot would have gone, <laughs> not much. Yeah, you're right. It's going to take a lot to keep this thing going. 
Your two cents really doesn't matter. But watch, as it turns out, this woman wasn't giving to the temple fund. She wasn't. She wasn't giving to support corrupt priests. That's why she wasn't. She wasn't also giving to impress her, her peers, her friends. As it turns out, this woman's motive, her attitude, her heart was simply to honor God. She wanted to bring honor and pleasure and praise to her God. And that is what motivated her to give. What drew her to the temple that day was her personal devotion to God and her desire to please him with everything in her power. This woman had a high view of God and a desperate need for God. That's what motivated her. Years ago, I heard the story of a man who was attempting to build an orphanage in Europe. He was collecting funds for the orphanage. He approached a wealthy man in England. Would you help? The man wrote him a check for the equivalent of about $5. And the man who was collecting the funds in front of the man who had just given him a $5 check took it and tore it up and handed it back to him. He said, sir, this money is not for me. The man got the message, took out his checkbook, wrote a check for 100 pounds English. And he said, brother, here is a check for 100 pounds, seeing it's for God. Okay, now he gets it. So the question then is in the air, isn't it? To whom are you giving? The, the woman, this widow, could have stayed home and purchased a morsel of bread. She didn't. She could have reasoned, why give money to that corrupt church? She didn't. She could have reasoned, who's going to miss my two cents anyway? She didn't. Why did she give? It is because she was giving to God. She had placed her hope, her future, and her faith in God. And that is what motivated her. Again, the question that I hope that you'll ask of yourself. To whom do I give and in whom do I trust? To whom do I give and in whom do I trust? Pastor stood in front of his church one morning and announced we're going to do a building campaign. We're going to build a new building, and so we're taking pledges for the new building. He had one really rich guy in his church, a multimillionaire, and the multimillionaire stood up and he said, I pledge $100 to the building campaign. And he sat down, and just at that time, some of the drywall in the ceiling broke loose and fell straight down and hit the man right on the head and just, you know, stunned him. And so he brushed himself off, and he stood back to his feet, and he said, I want to change my, pl my pledge to $10,000, to which the pastor bowed his head and, and prayed, hit him again, Lord, hit him again. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Too many people, though, think about it, serve a leftover God. They serve the extra God, the tip God, after the house, after the car, after the clothes, after the expenses, then God gets what's left over. Heard the story of a little girl who was given $2 bills by her mother before church. She said, the first dollar is for church, and the second dollar is for candy after church. And they went out to the car, and a gust of wind took those $2 bills out of the little girl's hand, and she went chasing them across the yard and down the street, and she caught up with one of them. But the other one was gone. And she stood there with her dollar bill, and she looked up to heaven and said, well, God, there goes your dollar. Yeah. It's interesting when things have to be cut, God often loses out first. Can you imagine God notices that? Can you imagine that God may notice that? Can you imagine that God may actually be watching that? And that he is the God 
upon which his scales judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, the thoughts and intentions. God knows uh, I'm more interested in why you give rather than what you give. And just for your information, if you're new around here, if you've been here a while, you understand this, but no one ever gets pointed out in this church because of what they gave. No one, ever. There are only, there are only two rules around here. One is that no one, no one gets special attention, gets special favor, gets special treatment, gets special recognition, gets special influence because of what they give. No one ever has and no one ever will as long as I'm leading here. Because it's not about what. It's never about the what. The what is a, is, a, is a byproduct of the why. Why you give is intensely important to me. What you give is irrelevant to me. Now, I happen, to, I happen to know what everybody gives in the life of the church. I have pastor friends who say, oh, I could never, I could never know what people give, what, what they give in my church, what amounts they give in the church, because I'm afraid I couldn't trust myself. I might treat them differently if I knew they were giving more or less. And I said, well, that's, that's, that's goofy, because you should know. A good leader will know how much people give. And the reason I know what you give isn't because I'm curious to know what you give. I just need to know who I can trust. So it's never about what you give. It's about why you give. But if you're going to be a person of leadership and a person of influence in the life of this church, then, you, then this is one of the ways that you are vetted. Because got, I've got to know who I can trust. And if you're a person who have means and you don't give, I can't trust you. Because <laughs> it just means that that part of your life isn't formed yet. And so you need more maturity. You're not a leader. You're, just on, you're on the way to being a leader, but you're not a leader. If you're not faithful in this area of your life. Jesus said, Jesus said wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Jesus said it. Jesus saw a woman with the right motives one day and said, that's the biggest offering of the day. And what Jesus was saying was, that woman can lead in my church anytime because her heart's right. I can trust her. Her motives are pure. She's mature. She's got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All weekend, it's gotten really quiet at this uh, <laughs> part, of the, <laughs> part of the sermon. That's really good. really love it. <laughs> Now, here's the third point. Write this down. Not only is Jesus watching intimately and critically, he's watching spiritually. See, he's seeing the whole thing with spiritual eyes. We tend to look with natural eyes, but he's looking into deeper things. And giving in Christianity really is unlike any other giving because no other organization asks the question, why? Why are you giving? What is your motive? I mean, uh, we've recently gone through our United Way campaign here locally, and it was successful and well done. And, but there are other asks that organizations and ministries, you know, reach out for you. I mean, police benevolence and, and all kinds of agencies and organizations in the community, nonprofits that do great work. You know, the Girl Scouts are loose right now selling their cookies, maybe you've noticed. And all, all of these are good causes. But I've always been asked the question by these organizations, will you give and what will you give? Never the question, why are you giving? But that's not true in Christianity. God not only looks at what you give, but also why, more importantly, why 
you give. Why you give? See, the widow, when faced with a choice to stay home or go to church, she trusted God. When faced with the option of eating or offering, she trusted God. See, she made a spiritual, feel it now, absorb this, a spiritual decision that wouldn't make sense to a lot of her friends and frankly doesn't make sense to this day to most people in the world who look at that woman and say, what is the matter with her? There's no rhyme or reason for that woman. Can you see her walking up to one of the receptacles, people bustling and hustling, the guy right in front of him, right in front of her dumps a big container full of stuff down the receptacle, makes a big noise, a big fuss. She gets up there with her little clutch purse, you know, and just opens the little string on it and reaches down to the very bottom of this little pouch. And she pulls out two pennies. It's all she has, just two pennies. But in her heart, she's thankful to God. And she's celebrating the goodness of God in her life and the faithfulness of God in her life. She's celebrating. She's worshiping. Her focus is on, is, is on God and his faithfulness to her. It's not about what for her. It's about why. And when she lets them fall, she stands there trusting that God is going to meet her needs. He always has. She trusts he will continue to meet her needs. And so she lets it go with an open heart and an open hand in trusting confidence that God is going to meet her needs. It's not about what. It's always about the why. Yeah. Friends, it could be very well true that the greatest measure, the greatest indicator of the motivations of our own heart is how we steward the resources of God. Is that possible? That the greatest indicator, you know, the, the lights come on and flash most, most, uh, most clearly in this category of our lives with how we manage the stuff that God puts in our disposal. You know, we saw King David last week. He's the dancing king. He's in his underwear dancing before the whole nation. And we see that a blessed life, a guy's blessed. I want to be blessed. Who wants to be blessed? Well, this is what a blessed guy looks like. This is a guy who is open with his praise and celebration of God's goodness in his life. And he is open-hearted and open-handed with his generosity. Because he's feeding everybody in sight. He's happy. That's what blessed means, to be so, so full of joy as to be envied. That's blessed. He's so happy about it. By the way, we asked Glenn if he'd dance in his underwear this week, and he said he would. And, and, uh, but we, we said, no, no, we should, you shouldn't do that. It's not going to work out. He showed us the tidy whities that he was going to wear, and we said, no, <laughs> not appropriate. <laughs> David was down to his ephod, his underwear, dancing in celebration to God. But this is an expression. This is the indicator. This is when the lights come on in a heart that has the right motives, that wish to honor God and please God and praise God when you're open-handed and open-hearted. It's a matter of value. You know, we have a lot of single women in the church, and let me just say to you, if you're dating somebody right now and, and that guy's cheap, now I didn't say he was poor. I said he was cheap. You know, he takes you, takes you to McDonald's all the time when he could take you to a nicer place. Nothing wrong with McDonald's, but if he can afford better, you should keep your eyes open on that guy. 
Because he could be expressing his value toward you. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying heads up. Three guys just got punched. I don't even know what it means. Isn't it true that God is worthy of our highest praise? That's where the amen goes in the sermon. God is worthy of our highest praise. He is worthy of our deepest devotion. God is worthy of our very best. Yeah, and that's the value we should place on him. It all begins with him. And this widow gave herself in complete dependence on God. She gave all she had out of her need, out of her poverty. Why? Because she was confident in God. She knew her need for God. One more story about a widow. 1 Kings 17, this is the widow of Zarephath. Remember her? She had a son. So here's a single mom. Her husband's gone. And there's a famine in the land. And there's no hope for her. And she, and she has enough food for one more meal. Her plan with her son, because things are so pitiful, that she's going to take the little oil and the little flour that she has left and make one more meal, one more cake. She's going to eat it with her son. And then their plan is we're going to have one more meal and then we're going to die. She's quoted in the text. She happens to be saying this to the prophet who comes to her house under the inspiration of God. And Elijah says to her, do you have any food? She said, well, I've got enough for one more meal. My son and I were going to eat one more time, then we're going to die. And the prophet says to her, if you'll, if you'll take what you have left and feed me, take care of me, God will take care of you. Wow. Can you feel the tension? Can you feel that? Can you feel the moment? This woman looks at her son, little son. He's already starving. Looks at the prophet. Looks at this little container of oil and flour. Now she has a decision to make, doesn't she? This is what she does. She said, I'll honor God's word to me. She takes what she has left, makes up a little cake. She serves it to the prophet. Do you feel the tension? Have you ever felt tension when you, when you know God was asking you to do something and you wondered, boy, is that a good idea? She served the prophet and the prophet ate. He thanked her and he said, all right, see you. Peace. Peace out. <laughs> she said, Bye. But the next morning she went, she woke up, she went over to the little containers where her oil and flour were, and there was oil and flour. She thought to herself, I used all this, but there was enough for that day. And she and her son ate. And then the next day she found more. And each day she used it all, but the next morning there was more. And the day after that, 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 and after, and after, and after, and after, and after, and after. And all through that famine, God sustained that woman and her son because she said yes to the word of God and to the will of God for her life. She submitted willfully to God's best plan. 
And God provided for her. Listen to me. God will not be indebted to you. He will not be indebted to the woman, the widow of Zarephath, and he will not be indebted to you. He will not be indebted to anyone because whatever God promises, God will do. And when he says that he will sustain you and keep you in a faithful way, you can count on it. You can trust him. You can believe it. You can take it to the bank because God is a faithful God and he will not be indebted to you. He will not. People that I know understand what God's doing in the life of our church right now. Very exciting things are happening, friends. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I know I'm inadequate to explain what God is doing. Doors of opportunity. Lives are being touched. The, the opportunities God's giving us in mission. Op, doors of opportunity in church planting. These sorts of things where lives are being touched and changed. It is dramatic. And I know I have close friends that I confide in. And they say, well, how are you going to pay for some of those opportunities? I said, I don't know. You don't have money for that now? I don't have money for that. How are you going to do it? I don't know. Well, you're in trouble then, aren't you? I said, no. No, not in trouble because this is what I've learned. I've walked with Jesus now for about 50 years. And here's my announcement to you. I've only got 50 years perspective. Some of you have more years of perspective. This is my perspective. What I have discovered is that anytime God has asked me personally or corporately to do something and I have obeyed him in that doing, God has always provided the means to see it through. Whatever that resource happened to be, God has always been faithful. Always. What I've learned is this, and you can learn it too. It's the truth. This is a principle of the kingdom of God, that the provision of God always follows obedience. The provision of God always follows his plan. The provision of God always follows his will. The provision of God always follows the vision of God. Provision always follows. So if you step out and you make commitments in time and talent and resource and the stewardship of all the assets that God has given to you in your life, then the provision of God will follow. And sometimes it's miraculous provision. No way to explain it. No way to understand it. No way to anticipate it. No way to, to project that it was coming. But God is a faithful God and he will not be indebted to you. He will take care of you. He will meet the need. So this is what I tell even members of our staff right now. I go, what are we going to do? How, well, how, how, what are we going to do? And I say, listen to me. Listen, it'll be there when we get there. It'll be there when we get there. This is the economy of God. It'll be there when we get there. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Now back to the original question today. Why do you do what you do? Why do you give what you give? Why do you serve the way you serve? It's all about your motive. It's all about your heart. It's all about your attitude about these things. Because that's what makes the indicator light go off. When Jesus looks at your life, he, didn't, he doesn't care what you've done so much or what you've given the amounts, all that stuff, all those quantities, pfft, doesn't matter to him. Because as it turns out, he doesn't need anything you have. <laughs> Trust me, God was getting along perfectly well before you got here on the planet, and he'll do just fine after you're gone. Trust me on that one. He's, he's, got, he's got some resources. <laughs> he can handle it. 
what he cares about is why you do what you do. Because he wants you to be like him. And he wants your motives to be pure. He's got great plans for you. So I hope today that this message will help you to pause and to ask the question, in whom do I trust? And why do I give? And if you can answer those in a meaningful way, listen to me, you take care of the whys in your life and the what's will take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. In every category. That's the way it works. Because God's concerned about your thoughts and your intentions and the motives of your heart. Well, let me give you this one more thought. I wonder, and I visualize things sometimes, I wonder if Jesus Christ physically appeared today in the room, physically here, just walk up and down the aisles while I was preaching, just Jesus walking with his nail-scarred hands, walking up and down the aisles. Would that, would that change the way you're listening to the sermon? How about at the offering? When it comes to the offering time, rather than your neighbor, you know, to your right, passing the offering on the bucket your way, what if Jesus personally, with his nail-scarred hands, personally brought the offering container to you and held it in front of you? Would that change? Would that change the offering? Would it change your attitude about it? Would it change your motive? I'm not asking if it would change the what, because that's obvious. It would change the what for a lot of us. Come on. You're just getting real. But would it change the why? You see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus holding a offering receptacle well he would never do that he didn't care about the offering yes he does yes he does oh yes he does care about that and so I just ask you would it matter and I want you to think about that you think about that now let's pray Lord we pause today and thank you so much for this story we're so inspired by this widow Wow, we look forward to meeting her someday. She'll be in the front of some line somewhere, worshiping you. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would impart to us your wisdom and your truth, truth that helps us to sort what can easily be jumbled and confused. And that's with regard to our motives why do we do these things? So help us, Lord, to see things clearly and to be moved by the inspiration of this widow so that in every detail of our lives, we would be motivated by our desire to honor and please you. Now, Lord, I pray for people in the room today who may be in a financial crisis or a relational crisis. Maybe there's someone here with, with a health issue or a family crisis, a career crisis. Lord, we know that no matter the need, you are the answer. You are the answer. We need you. 
So Lord, meet each one of us today at the point of that need or even crisis and extend your grace and extend your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said,